Hi, and welcome to episode 106 of Invest in You. And joining us this time is Soraya Grace. Fantastic. Hello. Hi there, Soraya. How are you today? I'm very good, thank you. Perfect. Um, and we try to figure out where everyone is today, and we are calling from three different countries. So, Soraya, where are you today? I am currently in Lisbon, which is in Portugal. Perfect. Very sunny and hot today in October. Great. Nice. Yeah, London have had uh, showers, and uh, now it's quite all right weather. Sean in Sweden? Uh, yeah, great weather. Uh, it's quite <laughs> dark outside right now. It's like, you know... When you're up north, it gets really dark. Yeah, true, true. Okay, so, uh, Shirley, would you like to lead in with the first questions? Yeah, sure. So, first of all, who are you? So, my name is Soraya Grace. I currently work for a hedge fund in London in the UK, but I can work from home because it's during COVID now. In 2017, I set up an online high school to help educate children who are living in third world countries. Um, since then, it's grown exponentially. I am now in the West Bank, Lebanon, Syria, and Pakistan. Hopefully, I will be launching in Brazil next year and Malawi, which is in Africa. Wow. All of the content is in English. So the struggle I have is uh teaching finding students who's le- who, who can speak and understand english to yeah. a level that it will be that the courses are relevant to them um in pakistan that hasn't been an issue a lot of the poor children who i teach because a lot of these kids live on the streets their english is fantastic uh brazil is proving to be more of an issue um, but living in Portugal, I ha- I'm surrounded by Portuguese speakers and oh, okay. we're starting to think that maybe I should put subtitles on all of the courses. And if I do go down that route, I can have a huge number of students who will benefit from Scholarkid. That's super cool. Surely. It's amazing. Uh, how did we start with um, rewinding all the way to back to junior MBA? What was that all about? That was uh, basically... Like what we're doing right now, uh, trying to teach people, but then it was more about teaching younger people. And then we did the, we were on Facebook and we were doing these uh, uh, video episodes where we talked about something uh, related to entrepreneurship and uh, that has evolved and now we're doing podcasts instead. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Uh, How old is the demographic? Uh, Of the podcast or? Of Of everything, of everything you were doing, the entrepreneurship course, the podcast. Well, I mean, the great thing with entrepreneurship is you can be at pretty much any age when you do it. So uh, from as young as like my age to older people. Yeah, which uh, is 14 and above. Good. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, and also for like live events, I think we've had from 14, 15 up to uh, 18, 19 plus, uh, plus parents, in, uh, parents also joining in as well. Yeah, but for yeah. the actual podcast, we've got a very global audience with well over 100 countries. Uh, I would say lots of people in personal development, investments, and entrepreneurship. So we have been on the top charts a few times uh, in and out. It depends how much we promote what we do. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, and, and we are not really trying to push this 
to anyone. We just try to offer it to everyone instead. So yeah, that's where we are. So tell us more about the Scholar Kid. What is that all about? More than what so was, I uh, was. The reason that I came up with the idea is because I was really struggling at school. And at the age of 12, my I, I really grew up thinking I was just stupid. I was always being held back for extra classes, etc. And I just uh, lost my confidence at school and started acting up. So then I was constantly getting detention. Um, so it's just like, it was just a vicious cycle, really. Um, so at the age of 12, my mother pulled me out of school or dragged me out of school and started home educating me. And I can really say that that's when I started learning for the first time. I think I realized then at the age of 12 that a lot of children or students have different learning styles. Now, this is something that's becoming more and more popular today. Um, but I think back then, which was the 90s, it, people probably did know, but it just wasn't that common. And the teachers just kind of gave up on me as one of the dumb kids. Uh, which is fair enough because I was constantly disrupting classes. So I really do not blame them whatsoever. Um, so when I started home educating, I wasn't distracted by like 30 other students in my class, which I also really disagree with. You can't have 30 children and one teacher in a class. Um, it's, it's, it's too much for any teacher to handle. So, um, from then on, I always thought from the age of 12, I always thought if I have the means, and the capability, I'm going to one day start my own school so I can help children learn. And I had, at the time, I had no idea how I was going to do this. Um, and then one day in 2017, I was walking down Mayfair where I lived in London. And yep. um, it just, that thought just came to me all of a sudden. And I was like, I'm now in a position where I have very good, I have a very good network worldwide. And I could just start the school, and especially with the platforms uh, like TeachBoard, et cetera. It's so easy to start anything online now and social media. So I started, I employed teachers who were, I hate to say this, but they were just horrific to work <laughs> with. They plagiarized the content from BBC Bite Size. Yeah. So I ended up, I stopped hiring teachers because I was wasting thousands of pounds on these people and I started hiring PhD students and um, I I had to really learn so much. If I had known back then how much I had to learn about the curriculum, the the British curriculum, I might might not have done it to be honest. <laughs> but um, I was already too deep in to kind of back out and a lot of my friends realized what I was up to. So I really worked on the curriculum with a few educational um, uh, or people who worked in the exam exam boards, such as Cambridge, etc. So I I worked with the PhD students who are bloody fantastic, and I'm sorry I just wore, but they really were. I can't emphasize that enough. Yeah. So it's because of these PhD students, um, that's how Scholar Kid really managed to kick off. And from there, I covered the core curriculum, and from there, I branched off into. I would say life skills, such as yeah. critical thinking, yeah, verbal so, communication, personal finance. Critical thinking still today is the most popular course on ScholarKid. Yeah. So um, for, I can give you you guys an example. So uh, Kobe, the critical thinking teacher, has gave, gave a very simple example. And the example is, 
the um, you need to concentrate on which sentence is correct. So I really want you to listen to both sentences I'm about to say. The egg yolk is white or the yolk of the egg is white. <laughs> which one is correct? None of them, I guess. Why do you say, no, and, and, and you, what do you think? So the egg yolk is not white, that was the first statement. Okay, okay, yeah. Um, the, the yolk of the... The yolk of the egg is white, or the egg yolk is white. Which sentence is correct? Well, none of Yeah, I agree with Charlie. Yeah. Why? Because an um, egg yolk isn't white, I guess. No, exactly, yeah. Well, honestly, I'm very shocked at both of you because you are the first people to get that wow. right. I Most feel super smart right now. To, I think say, the reason uh, is the we are not is native. We native. We're not native speakers, so that's why we pay extra attention. I think. Maybe. Maybe. I, I I'm kind of a native of, speaker. Though. Yeah, you are. Surely. Yeah, sorry. A Maybe. lot of a lot of people I speak to are not native speakers, and everyone gets this wrong. Even lawyers, even yeah, senior yeah. lawyers. Cool, surely. And it's their job to kind of uh, kind of understand these <laughs> ambiguous language. Yeah. So um, anyway, most people most people get this wrong, and then it goes on to explain um, that the mind just wants to quick quickly think and come up with a solution yeah that's true because as human beings we don't like thinking too much it takes too much energy away from us yeah so as soon as we see a problem we just instantly pick something and that's where we make assumptions um and those assumptions can lead us down the wrong path but um yeah so you two just ruined that experiment had a good good laugh as well before we dug deeper into it so yeah i really hope that everyone listening in uh, from a far distance also had some fun with that exercise too so now i think it's a really smart model and it's one thing we we really like so one reason why we had this podcast is united nations global goals and we focus on number four which is called education which is arguably what we're trying to do here, Charlie, right? To share yeah. good, good stuff with the world. And, uh, and you're doing the same. So we are proud of you. And, uh, and then also something else we like, uh, which is sometimes a nice side effect, which is multiple income streams. Have you been able to make it uh, cash flow uh, neutral yet? Uh, the very important no. initiative you're working with. I thought, thought so, but of course it's really hard to attraction and, and if you like to do something really good it uh, it's a lot of money up front but well done regardless that's really yeah. cool yeah perfect but uh, we like subscription model businesses uh, the, the academia in sweden just to take an example is super heavy influenced by venture capital which is very interesting that many of the best schools in Sweden are owned by venture capitals and also uh, funds of venture capital. And, uh, and that's just an observation. What's your thought when you hear that? Um, because you're working in the finance sector and education. In a exactly. Way. So my thoughts are... I'm not sure how I feel about that, to be honest. Turning schools into businesses, I'm, I think in, in one way it can be extremely positive. Yeah. And in another way, it can be extremely negative. 
And especially for children, again, I just emphasize again, I work with kids who are mainly very poor under the poverty line. They are living day to day. So um, there's already a stark difference between just state-run schools and private schools. Obviously, there's a stark difference between state-run schools and private schools. Um, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that because I can really see a huge section of the entire world really lacking in a basic education. Yeah, yeah. But then again, the the better education, it will all trickle down eventually. Yeah. So yeah, it's a tough question. I think overall, I think overall, it's probably a good thing. Yeah, I think it's good from the point of view that. If you just run a school completely as like a non-profit, not think about costs or income or anything, I think that's that's really bad as, as like a, a principle or yeah, yeah, not be appropriate at all. On the other hand, the, should you make a profit? Because ultimately, venture capitalists would like to have a quite high return. So we talk about lots of acquisitions to, to make this into a profit center and then bundle them up and maybe to pass it on. Um, I put no no more thoughts into that, more than just interesting to see how different companies, different people make profit, also on the lovely topic of education. Surely, um, you're more than welcome to shoot off now to your next thing on the to-do list or to hang around for another 10 minutes. Yeah, I think I'm going to go and uh, do some training right now. All right, Uh, go for it. Yeah, see you guys later. Bye-bye. Bye, Bye. it was lovely meeting you. Thank you, thank you. Right, so, so we'll jump into another aspect of, of your business, which Charlie would also, of course, benefit from listening to, but uh, it is uh, working with uh, hedge funds, uh, investor relationships, and so on. So tell us slightly more about your so-called day job. What does that mean? And what's your maybe... So my time? day job isn't necessarily a day job. Yeah, um, that's okay. <laughs> I work for a smaller hedge funds. Yes. It's, um, so I kind of do everything. Yeah. Uh, my main job is marketing. So a lot of the contacts I have are personal contacts, which means I'm working or can work 24-7 a day, yeah, seven hours that. a day. I know that. Yeah. So uh, for instance, if one of my investors or one of our potential investors has just flown into London from Malaysia and he's with friends or his wife and he wants to go to a club in London, He'll text me, hey, Soraya, can you get us into this club? And because I work in a hedge fund, I often, London yeah. is very much membership based. Yes. I think a lot of finance people know this. Uh, so I have members to most of the clubs. And um, and all of my investors know this because I need it for my job. Yeah. So, um, so they can text me 12 o'clock on a Monday night when I'm in bed and be like, hey, we want to get into one of the clubs. <laughs> I have to get out of bed, get dressed put my happy face on and go and take them to one of these clubs because the next day they might invest a hundred million with us. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, it really is. And then, and then another investor will want to meet me at 6am for breakfast before he has to get his flight back to Moscow or Dubai. So it really is a very full on job, but it's also very fun. Yeah. Yeah. No, I also really, I also been working very much with, investor relationships for the family business and also later for one of the companies where I'm investing into the company I'm kind of helping out with investor relationships with two more finance companies as well so 
I, I know the feeling. I really like it because investors uh, are really interesting people because they can come from so many walks of life, uh, often like uh, global truckers like myself uh, and maybe yourself too. Uh, and uh, it's, it's fun. So again, it's also a space where you can't really talk about all your uh, clients either. So many of the stories are un untold. Um, so yeah, how, how did you get into investor relationships in the first place? So my background uh, predominantly has been real estate, commercial real estate, which I absolutely love. Um, but then Brexit came and yeah. I knew that uh, that real estate in the UK was going to collapse. Now, I was lucky because half of my job was in Delaware, the US, and half was in the UK. But I knew that if the UK uh, real estate market was going to be dead, my, my boss was already quite old. So he probably would end up closing the company, which he has now done. So I was right to leave. Yeah. So I took a year off to focus on Scholar Kid, and uh, which is the best thing I've ever done. And then I started asking my friends um, if they knew, I want to get into the hedge fund industry, but I, I have uh, absolutely no knowledge of the hedge fund industry back then. Yep. So I asked, I asked around and one of my friends was like, oh, Dietmar, which is my current boss, yeah, he's yeah. just reopened his hedge fund. And I was lucky enough to meet Dietmar a year before. And we were talking about, um, the financial crisis and we just the economy in general. And we, we were aligned on a lot of stuff. So as soon as, as soon as my friend told me that Deepmore was opening the hedge fund, I pretty much in a very arrogant way, I pretty <laughs> much knew I had the job. Deepmore called me. I went into an interview. They're like, can you start tomorrow? But I couldn't start tomorrow because I was on my, I was going to Pakistan that evening for a week. Yeah. Um, to visit my students. So um, then my boss was like, you're going to Pakistan, what is this? And uh, <laughs> so anyway, I ended up starting a week later, really with, with very little knowledge. I was trying to read up and study hedge funds in the one week in Pakistan, yeah. uh, which didn't really work out too well. Because Pakistan is just a crazy nonstop country. Um, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> so yeah, I was very lucky to get the job through my network and that's how I now, that's how I have in the past got my job through, through my network. Yeah, I think no, that's, that's, that's pretty key for anyone to broaden cool. their network as much as possible. Yeah, no, I, I know. I mean, it's on my career want to do list to set up a fund in due time. My youngest brother beat me to it. He's now one of the founders, the CIO of uh, one which is just setting up in in your space in, in the real estate sector. Uh, so yeah, we'll see how that launch when they kick off. But uh, they they are they're working and is I mean I can literally see the the central London from through the window here because I'm fairly high high up uh, and uh, I love. The, the potential of London and ultimately my wife brought me to England, but business keeps me here. <laughs> uh, so even if I'm traveling, uh, I also have some kind of business interest in the UK. So I find that in, intriguing. Uh, but also I really find the US interesting as well from an investment point of view, because there is more okay to go down the entrepreneur route. There is uh, at least from a media point of view, it seems to be more viable. Would you agree? You have lived in two countries, at least. Well, I actually think England has made it 
pretty darn easy for anyone to start a company. You can you can wake up in one morning and have a company an hour sure, later. Sure, I can't believe I and I was I, I kind of grew up in, in Amsterdam where it's also very easy and in London. Yes. So moving to Portugal, there's a little bit more of bureaucracy here. And that's when I started realizing just how easy England has made it to start a company. I can't comment too much on America, but I do know that all of my friends who have companies in America have all registered their company in Delaware because the laws are a lot more relaxed. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think it's 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 very important for any country to make to make it as easy as possible to start companies there because obviously it just contributes towards the economy overall. So if you make it hard, then people will just be pulled off and not yeah. make, take the risk. Yeah, so no, I completely agree. And uh, and as uh, preparation for my next company, wherever that might be located in the world, because again, I see myself as a global citizen, I have done some quick comparisons in terms of if I set up a company in Sweden where I'm born versus if I set up a company in Singapore, if I like to make the same money out of the business as an owner operator, uh, I can choose to work either one year in Singapore or seven years in Sweden. As we both know, life is limited in our, our current shape, at least. Um, which would you rather work one year or seven years for the same outcome? Okay, so <laughs> it's funny that you mentioned <laughs> Singapore. I, yeah. had, I had a very good job offer in Singapore two years ago. So I flew yeah. off to Singapore, very excited because I absolutely loved Malaysia. Yeah, and yeah, I like, left two like weeks and I just knew that I couldn't live in Singapore. But if you told me seven years versus one year, obviously I would go for the one year. But I would have to think yep. about it for a couple of seconds because Singapore just wasn't for me. But yeah. I'm sure, I'm sure. I mean, I can have fun anywhere. But yeah, Singapore. Yeah, exactly, fun. exactly. No, I got lots of friends in Singapore. I can just pick up the telephone and I've got a number of evenings reserved right away. Uh, but again, to have a life choice, Singapore is a very small country if you're born in Sweden, mm. for example, uh, when you can literally run through the whole country in, in less, than a, less than a marathon to cross the country. I find that interesting, intriguing and so on. I've done lots of consulting there, I've got lots of friends. So yeah, every country has got its pros and cons. And that's why I find it interesting that you have now found Portugal, which is one place where people often come from all over the world just a few episodes ago, we spoke with a tax and real estate expert from uh, Florida, and we spoke amongst many things about investor visas. And Portugal is one of the EU, European Union's uh, host countries where many people come from abroad to uh, buy a visa and a passport. Yeah. Or is that something you come across where people you bump into there? Uh, yeah, I've actually had a couple of my Saudi friends call me recently and to inquire about the golden visa and if I can yes. help them. Uh, so it definitely is popular. Although I'm pretty sure I read somewhere that the EU is trying to stop Portugal Correct. from doing this. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. which will be which will be handy for me if they did, because then the property prices will just crash overnight. Yeah. So yeah. Um, yeah. in a very selfish way, I would yeah. love them to stop. Um, but yeah, it's it's on one hand it's quite it's a shame because there's so many apartments here that are just completely empty, and um, just because so many foreign people are buying, I have friends uh, again from Dubai and Pakistan who have bought here and they just the, the apartments are empty, 
yep. and the local yep. salary for Portuguese people averages six to seven hundred euros a month, and then the average decent apartment is around half a million euros. So how on earth can local Portuguese people buy in Lisbon? Yeah, they just exactly. can't. Exactly. I mean, we've so got in to that say, respect, it's pretty disgusting. Yeah, we've got the same here. And then we again, would... Mayfair is very similar. Yeah, exactly. That's my point as well. So the, the, the leader in that to London, a lot of the prime real estate here, which talk about the, the 10 million plus category uh, are um, empty, <laughs> not boarded yep. up, but empty. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, life choices, people make different ones. All right. Um, people who would like to learn more about like Scholar Kid uh, or yourself, what is the best place to find you? Uh, LinkedIn, yep. uh, LinkedIn, Instagram. Um, the only issue I have with Scholar Kid is a lot of people keep uh, typing in Scholar Kids, plural, okay. and it's not. That's actually a nursery in India. So I'm thinking about changing the name, although I absolutely love the name, but it is just scholarkid.com. Yep. Um, I'm, I'm having more and more British children sign up. Again, the classroom sizes in the UK are just too large. So they're not really having a good quality education. So they're yeah. signing up as well. Um, I do have um, a subscription on the website, but that's just because I really want to keep an eye on who's signing up. So the education is all free, yeah. but I just want people to send me an email because I keep really... Um, keeping an eye on who students, each and each individual student, when they're logging on, how often they're logging on, if they're finishing the courses. Yep. Um, I'm in contact with 95% of my students personally, um, which is a lot of work, but it's yeah, a very expensive hobby, time-consuming hobby. And a lot of people <laughs> have asked me why I'm not turning this into a charity. Yeah. And it's something that I would love to do eventually, but right now, because I'm paying for everything out of my own salary. Yep, yep. Setting it up as a charity is just too expensive um, because you need auditing. It's, it, you, it's very limited. You're very limited to what you can do. So, for instance, I'll go to a village in Syria or, or anywhere else and they'll need a water well or the kids are starving. So yep. I buy a, um fuel uh, which is a, a, a protein drink or a meal replacement i'll be i'll buy like a couple of hundred bags of those and then the, at least the kids can have lunch every day yep, uh, for a couple of months whereas if you're on a charity you just can't do stuff like that unless it's already been pre-authorized by the charity commission so yeah, yeah. yeah no, but if i did have a charity tough. i could raise money i could really expand it exponentially yeah yeah, I think you can still very much do that as business as well, because businesses are allowed to give to other businesses too. And then most likely you can also yeah. still write that off for whatever it might be. So yeah, uh, you are doing great service to, to many people who would not normally get that kind of help. So I would like to applaud you for, for that, of course. And uh, uh, Explore Learning, for example, in England, both Ivan and Shawnee did attend extra curriculum outside school hours to pick up again where the school is missing out. And it has helped them a lot. And we really yeah. try to help both of them a lot. Probably after this podcast, I'll, I'll call to Ivan, the other co-host, and see if I can trick him to do some maths because we've got an exam coming up. 
so yeah so that's um, the only that's the only subject i don't have is mathematics just because right yeah. now it's just too expensive to ask yeah, yeah, yeah. but that's what everyone is asking for yeah but so i yeah. really need helping hand and, and an offer to 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 the whole uh, scholar kid initiative me and charlie if we can help us to produce any kind of modules which are very much linked to uh, financial iq in one any shape or form just give us a shout and we'll happen to to tap into the, the fountain of wealth that you offer the world that would be amazing and anyone else who's willing to help please contact me that i need perfect. all the help i can get well not just me but students the of students course. need all the help they can get Yes, uh, it's a tough world out there and everyone is now applying for the same job globally. Yeah, exactly. So you're no longer competing against your local local people. It's a global market. The global village, exactly. So yeah, thanks a lot, Sarai, for uh, joining us on the podcast, Invest in You. Shoris' usual outro is uh, that he loves uh, reviews, uh, and he particularly likes five-star reviews. And um, please send questions to us and also suggestions about guests. And we have had more and more interesting people from all over the world inquiring about to actually join us on the show. So yeah, thanks for those as well. And last Perfect. words for the, the people in the world, Soraya. Uh, no, no, I think we've covered everything. Fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us. Okay, take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.